It's great to be here. And on today's episode, we're joined with a special guest, Russell Tatro, who is the maintenance supervisor for Cadence. He has an incredible background, and you're going to have a lot of fun listening to this episode today. When he was 18 years old, he started working on bedding machines with his father and repairing them. We're going to dive into a little bit of his past where he was literally working on submarines. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the current state, impact on manufacturing. And before we get into that, though, a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Traction. Traction offers streamlined hardware and software solutions designed to make maintenance more reliable and profitable. Their AI-powered condition monitoring and asset management solution predicts machine failures and unplanned downtime, allowing clients to save an average of $10 million every trimester. It's artificial intelligence quarterbacking your maintenance. Well, thanks for joining us today, Russ. Uh, First of all, how are you doing today? Oh, great. How are you? Uh, you know, I can't complain. It's a little rainy where I'm at, but, you know, it hasn't rained for like six weeks. So I'm, in, I'm enjoying the Midwest thunderstorms right now. So with that being said, we're having this conversation right now. We're having it virtually. But if you were to pick any place from the past that you've gone to to have this conversation, where would you be taking David and I as a treat? Where would you be like, I want to have this conversation at a restaurant or a vacation spot or fun memory, where would that be? We would probably be going off to Charleston, South Carolina area. Okay. Enjoy the sunshine down there. Any specific spot in Charleston? I think any of the beaches or downtown Charleston itself. Downtown Charleston uh, atmosphere is phenomenal. So, yeah, that's probably where we'd be headed. Nice. Yeah, you know what? I was actually born on Charleston Naval Base. My father was stationed at the uh, Naval Weapons Station down there. So that makes sense that you you have an affinity to that to that uh, area. So speaking of which, tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got started in the industry and getting yourself to where you are today. Yeah. So as we highlighted in the beginning, we I started off about 18 working on betting machines Transitioned from there about two or three years later, two and a half years later, I uh, went to Electric Boat. Electric Boat, General Dynamics in Groton, Connecticut. We built submarines. I went through their electrical apprenticeship. Got a chance to do a lot of cool things there. Transitioned after the apprenticeship over to the, the Navy's float and dry dock. EB took over the contract to, to do all the preventive maintenance on that, on that dry dock. Um, so I got the unique opportunity to serve some time on there with some great individual leaders. Um, I think that molded me into the person that I am today. After my time at Electric Boat, I spent a lot, you know, the rest of my career in manufacturing, uh, where I've worked for some great companies. I've worked for a rolling mill. I've worked for a concrete company. I've spent a little bit of time in a distribution center to see how that works and transitioned my technician role into a management role by um, leading a pharmaceutical company in the maintenance field. And now here I am at Cadence trying to lead their maintenance team. So I want nice. I want to start real quick on on like your journey of of betting machines cuz like what I think of betting machines, you know, casino, everything now is just a massive screen, right? It's all digital. But what were the betting machines that you were repairing like when it was 18 was it was it heavy mechanical? What what were those machines like? No, actually so I I worked at Plainfield Greyhound Park. It doesn't exist anymore. 
I was hired at that young age to fix all of the light boxes. So if you if you picture a big odds board that has uh, all the numbers that go across it, okay, that's just a light box. And there's there's I think there was a series, if I remember correctly, don't quote me on it, twelve or sixteen light bulbs, and it was all relay logic. So a certain amount of relays would pull in to make a one, a certain amount of the other relays would pull in to make a two. I learned under an army engineer. He was a retired army engineer, and he taught me relay logic. That fascinated me, but most of it was PC boards for the older machines. Even then, we were working on the uh, Windows 95, and then I remember things transitioning over to Windows NT. What was great is I, I, after the Greyhound Park, I went to Mohegan Sun. I ran all their electrical equipment for the same company inside the, the race book there. And when you opened up one of their self-betting machines, it was the same as a slot machine. So here we were in a, in a, in a casino. People are using this machine to bet on horses and dogs or highlight at the time. But if you opened it up and you changed a couple little uh, chips in the board, you would have a slot machine. So I thought that was pretty fascinating to have the same kind of machines in the same building, but doing completely opposite things, right? I find that interesting, right? Because when we look at old manufacturing processes, obviously they were relay driven. Yes. You know, and when you were doing a machining or, you know, ejection molding machine, they were all relay driven, you know, back in the day. And it's interesting to see that also betting machines, you know, were also relay logic driven. And would you say that that is like one of the things that kind of brought you into manufacturing? Because obviously sports betting you know, on a Greyhound track isn't anything to do with manufacturing at all, but it's the same skill set, right? It is. I think, uh, I think you can use your technician skill set across many different sectors, many different ranges. So I think once you learn how things switch, how things are supposed to get a signal, what the input is supposed to be, what the output was supposed to be, I think at an early age, if you learn the, the rudimentary relay logic, right, it sets the foundation for any type of PLC-driven machine that we see today. Mm-hmm. I, I try to teach everybody. It's the same thing, whether... Whether you open up a panel and you look at an ice cube relay or you're looking at a PLC, most of the time it's switching a switch. It's switching a signal and how it's doing that. I mean, a lot of times it differs, but the principle is all the same. So Awesome. Yeah, very interesting background you have there. Looks like you have a lot of technical experience. Very impressive. But also a lot of leadership training and experience as well with the Department of Navy. But now being at Cadence, I want to hear a little bit more about your current day-to-day, kind of like what your concerns are, challenges, and what does that look like for you, basically? Yeah, so my day-to-day is set up. We come in. First thing I do is review any type of requests that might have happened overnight. Uh, We do run a a round-the-clock shift. I cover with my technicians first and second shift. So maybe on late on second shift, my second shift technician couldn't get to it, or third shift a request might have came in for maintenance. So I look at the maintenance request, try to set priorities for the day. If something went down, that's a top priority. Other than that, we, we make out our request. We look at our preventive maintenance that's going to be due for the day. And I set my team off on, on some sort of priority. Hey, we want to accomplish these jobs today. And we want to accomplish uh, these PMs. Aside from that, uh, we do have some projects that are going on. So I try to drive those projects forward. Like any big project, the way I try to lead them is one bite at a time, right? One little bite Mm -hmm. at a time will accomplish the project. So when I do have a big list of things to do or a big to-do list, we take one bite at a time. And by the end of the time, usually by our our due dates, we get there. On top of all of of the maintenance stuff, I also try to drive the safety culture at, at Cadence. For the audience that's not familiar with Cadence, Cadence is like a full service contract manufacturer. What types of industries do you guys touch? in the manufacturing space? 
So at least at our site, we, t- we touch many different industries across Cadence. At our site in Rhode Island that I'm responsible for, we're more, more of in the medical industry. But we do dive into the automotive industry and the aerospace industry as well at other Cadence sites. Awesome. You know, we're going to move into the next segment that we call the Maintainer Mashup. Maintenance required. Listen, I maintain. I maintain myself. Maintain course. Maintain speed. I got to maintain respect. What we do is we like to dive deeper into the the equipment, the you know the management style and the culture of the company, and really how is how is maintenance you know impacting from equipment and machines to the people that's out there. So the first question that I have is when you think about maintenance at Cadence, what is the culture mentality behind? what you see in terms of maintenance effect. I mean, it probably goes all the way back to when you were doing the bedding machines, right? If you did maintenance on those machines, the, the downtime, obviously. So, like, how, how have you viewed maintenance, I guess, through your entire career leading up to where you're at with Cadence today? Yeah, so I think maintenance on machines is probably the most important thing we do as maintenance technicians. If we're not touching our machines, making sure that they're operating the way they're supposed to operate, then I think that all we're doing during the course of the day is firefighting. If that was the case, I'd hire firefighters, but I hire technicians to to stop us from having to firefight. On that note, and also looking at your your experience that you've had as a technician and as a leader, I want to hear a little bit about uh, the modernization that you've seen over the last couple decades or so. For example, with CMMSs, you're doing several projects that you mentioned. Does any of that apply to this specifically? Or tell us a little bit about about your experience modernizing your maintenance teams. Yeah, so I I think I've seen a huge transition, right? It went from early in my career, it was just word of mouth. Hey, this is down. Let's go attack it. And, and again, that gets into the firefighting mentality. I've seen where companies have set that up on just a Excel spreadsheet, shared it across SharePoint. People wrote into it. Right. Um, you'd come in <laughs> as a technician or, or as, a, as a lead, and you'd look at all the things that people wrote on SharePoint. Some of them made sense. Mm-hmm. Some of them didn't. To what I see today in a really involved CMMS system, um, we use a CMMS system that, that I not only track my preventive maintenance. I track all of my emergent repairs, all of my parts inventories, my cost across each individual work order. I'm able to pull up assets now and and see that, hey, I've done 6 p.m.s on that machine, but within the last 6 p.m.s, I've also gone there six times to do a repair. That ratio is probably not good, right? We'd probably Mm -hmm. want to go to p.m. at six times, maybe go see it once, maybe not at all, right? All right. Ideally, we don't we don't have any downtime, so we don't visit it in between PMs. But now we're able to see that, analyze what that downtime was for, and then say, hey, let's put a PM in place to stop that from happening again. Mm-hmm. And so I think the way we're able to use the data and the data is right in front of us to manage the team is is, is phenomenal today. Right. And having this data available to you all now, what would you say has been the biggest shift? that you've seen at Cadence, and if you've seen a bigger shift at a previous company uh, with respect to technology, what would you say has been the biggest thing? So again, just that implementation of that CMMS system. When I got to Cadence, we were using a legacy system where we were just kind of using the PM system to satisfy our quality system. So our quality system at Cadence is top-notch. With that being said, our customers expect that our PMs are, are in place, that our PMs are getting done properly, 
in that the product that w- those machines are putting out is is good quality product. So we've transitioned from that legacy system to not only running our PM system off of off of that that CMMS system, but now it's a cloud based system. My technicians see the repairs that need to be done on a daily basis. They all get assigned out to them. My team carries out tablets to the work field now. The only thing that they see are things that I assign to them that I want on their radar. So maybe I have a guy that has a certain PM that I want done or a certain repair that he's familiar with and I want it done by him. Um, he's mm-hmm. the only one that sees that that needs to be done on his tablet. I want to dive, like you just answered like half of my question. It's how do you make sure that when a company is driving a new CMMS solution or collecting more information from equipment, how they don't feel overwhelmed with that approach? So one of your approaches was you designate the PM through through iPads and technology. Like, What was the decision behind giving the individual like specific instructions and tasks to follow versus a massive shared, I guess you could say, dashboard of, of objectives? So great question, Jake. I, I think that when you give a, a technician a singular task, not that people can't manage a whole plate, but when you say, hey, I want you to go out and tackle this, they go out, they tackle that, they're able to focus on just that one task without having to focus on all the other things. Like, hey, let me hurry up and do this real fast because I have a hundred other things on my plate. <laughs> I don't want you to know about those other hundred things. I want to manage that for you and say, hey, this is the top priority that I want you to focus on. I think the quality of work goes up when the technician doesn't have to worry about the backlog of jobs. Right. And so dealing with your uh, technicians and your staff and doing these you know, high-tech projects and these large transitions, have you faced much friction basically implementing new technology and how have you been able to kind of deal with that and, and manage that? So yeah, I think when, when you try to implement anything new, whether it's something in maintenance or something across the manufacturing floor, even in production, I think you always get a little bit of resistance to change. The way I combated that resistance to change, for one, it was the request, right? Through the other supervisors saying, hey, if you, if you have a piece of downed equipment, I need you to put a request in the system. So that way it adds, adds visibility for us. Same thing for my technicians, being able to add the tablet and add those technologies. It's just basically a value add. If you can prove to the key players that there's a value into why they're going to put a request in. There's a value into why I want you to carry a tablet around. I think that the buy-in's a lot better. But I think if you just throw technologies and you say, and you try to throw too much on it at once, I think you'll get a, a lot of resistance and kickback and it, and it will be more prone for failure. So I, I love that. How do you create that culture though? Like I've been on manufacturing floors and, and something needs to be fixed. They're going on the maintenance, you know, the, the guy's maintenance door and they're putting it out there and they're putting a sticky note on his door or they're going and knocking him and they're calling his cell phone saying, hey, yada, 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 yada. How do you create a culture that encourages the machine operators to buy into a proper communication channel for creating maintenance? I think it's just the workflow. Showing the, even the operators that, hey, there's a process that needs to happen. And then when they do make that request to their supervisor to put a maintenance request in, that we respond in a timely manner. So that way they get the buy-in too. Like, hey, I told the technician time and time again that this thing was, was acting up and it was broke, but he never showed up. But then he went to his supervisor. He told his supervisor, hey, my machine's acting up. The supervisor put a request in. Mm-hmm. And a couple hours later, maybe it was, we showed up to take care of the problem. 
I think that adds to the to the buy-in. I say, hey, look, look, you followed the proper chain of command. Here we are to fix your problem. Sorry your request fell off the radar a little bit. We do have a lot going on. It creates ownership. Yeah, and, and I think it's just that, that positive leadership. Don't go over there, and I've tried to you know, teach my technicians, both at Cadence and other places, don't go over there and, and cop an attitude because you have to fix something. Go over there with a positive attitude. Say, hey, I'm here to help you. Partner with the production person. They might know not exactly how to fix the problem, but they'll certainly point you in the right direction. Awesome. So now to transition to our second segment, we've heard about Cadence and how it operates. So I'd love to hear more about you and how you specifically excel. So what's in your toolkit? We're going to fix it. Get the tools. Pick the one right tool. The right tool for the right job. You have a lot of leadership experience. You've been trained by submarine guys. And so tell me your thoughts on how that shaped what you do on a day-to-day basis and the impacts of that. Yeah, so as you highlighted, I think my time at Electric Boat really curbed my leadership style, right? Even when I started off there in the apprenticeship as a boat electrician, somebody that was wiring the submarines, to go through all the methods in the classes and, hey, this is the the proper way to wire something. This is the proper way to terminate a a junction box. To know that that's the way it is supposed to look, that's the way it's going to perform its best. Then transitioning over to to the dry dock, I had some of the best leaders there, right? Somebody that says, hey, I see that you took this apart. It has both flathead and Phillips head screws on it. Why don't we make it all Phillips head screws on it so you only have to bring one screwdriver? They had the mentality that said, hey, don't let them wait for you. So any job that needs to happen, they shouldn't be waiting on the electrician. They shouldn't be waiting on the mechanic. Let's get our stuff out of the way so when the production needs to happen, we can go. So I think that kind of leadership, getting us there, leading from the front, I I think that really uh, helped them mold me in my career. Right. And then I'd love to hear some more about your thoughts on your technical skill as a technician, right? And the transfer of that skill to the leadership aspect, right? Because you got to be technically proficient for you to be professionally proficient, even from a leadership perspective. So what are your thoughts on the impacts from that quick connection there? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a sometimes a challenging transition, right? right? That maybe you know how to fix something in, in a technician struggling. I try to let my technicians not struggle through a process, but at least have their own challenges so they can develop their own methods. Being able to take that step back and, and not look at the singular task, but at the whole picture of the facility so that way we, we know what our priorities are. Um, I, I think that that's quite the transition that you have to undertake from a technician to, to a leader. But when you get down to just trying to lead your team, I think, yes, you have to be proficient in the technical aspect. I also think that you have to be humble enough to know that you don't know everything. So to to know that, hey, my technician's saying this, and maybe I think it's something a little bit different, but be humble enough to listen to what he has to say and then partner with him to to come to the right conclusion, right? I think it took a, a little bit of a transition for me to take a step back and say, hey, wait, this is the way I would do the job. But somebody's like, oh, yeah, that's not the way we're going to do it. And be like, all right, well, I'm not the one doing it. Go ahead and do it your way. The outcome's yeah. still the same. I, I like that. You know, I, I want to keep conversation around, like the toolkit, for example. And, you know, from that, there's a lot of decision making that happens to go on. So I would love to know from 
a what's in a toolkit perspective, let's let's switch the focus to software. When you're when you're out there deciding what software you want to use, so let's just say for the designating tasks of your workers to go and solve and, and fix problems. What are the features that you look for? Like, what is the decision process behind determining is this solution going to work for us or not? Like, what's your what's your decision matrix look like? So, when I looked at the different software options we've had, I've used a, a few different systems. You certainly, if, if we're looking to, we want to uh, be able to delegate our tasks by individual to be able to search by tasks by individual. So, a lot of different search criterias. I think uh, the asset management, being able to break down each individual asset, not only by asset type, but by maybe by department. Mm-hmm. So that way, even when my technicians are out there, they're saying, hey, I'm in, I'm in the sandblast department. These are, this is all the equipment in the sandblast department, if they had to do that. And I have a technician that I delegate most of my Swiss CNC PMs to, right? So I want to be able to say, hey, these are all my Swiss CNC PMs there's a category for that, that that lists all those. And then automatically, easier for me to identify, I can automatically assign all those to him. So at the beginning of my day, a lot of times I'll, I'll generate about 45, 50 PMs. And then uh, the ease of just clicking multiple PMs and then assigning them to one person, right? Yeah. I've had systems where I had to click into each individual one, update it, save it, and then click out. I mean, that, that becomes cumbersome. Well, I think what's exciting about that too is this is where I just love software so much for manufacturing. You can look at the training and the skill sets that each individual person carries. And then what I look at is you're making your life easier. You're making your company's life easier. And then you're eventually making, when you retire one day, you know, Russ, the, the, the next guy says, oh, I know these maintenance techs carry these skill sets. Yes. And like, it would be so hard to apply that and not a digital way. Absolutely. And, and, actually, and actually, to your point, the other thing that that does identify is when you see the, the training set up and what, you're in, what your employees are trained at and best at, it helps you identify the gaps of where you need to get other technicians trained. So when the technician is trained in that one in, in, instance, when he retires, you have a backup plan. So now, working with the technicians, for example, at the dry dock, Of course, Department of Navy, we love our stories, right? And and that's essentially the culture that's driven that. Do you have any sort of stories that you like to share? I I do have a good story from the dry dock, right? So my direct supervisor, he was an engineer on a submarine. When he retired, he became the dock engineer. Really great leader. I ended up becoming responsible for all the damage control equipment, all of our firefighting equipment on the dry dock. Quarterly, the Navy would come and spot check us for all of our PMs, make sure we were, we were performing our PMs properly. They were coming to, to spot check one of our PMs. It was a firefighting system, a fixed flood CO2 system on the submarine. The PM called out rating the, rating the tools required a certain fitting. I kept that in the damage control blocker. It was my responsibility to bring it to the PM. Morning meeting, boss says, you ready to go? I said, ready to go, boss, let's go. The Navy shows up at the dry dock. We get down to the PM. What did Russell forget? Russell forgot the only fitting we needed to get the PM done. <sighs> Automatic fail on our part, a great learning lesson for me. He made me carry that little fitting around for the next month, and every time <laughs> he asked for it, 
I had to pre- present it, so I put I tied it on a shoestring, hung it around my neck, and I carried it around for that for that thirty days. <laughs> that's well, that's, awesome. that's one way to learn. That's for sure. <laughs> so classic old got, school Navy style. Exactly. You know, they're they're <laughs> they're they're making you prepare for your future, and you know, not making the same mistakes, which is actually a good segue in, into our next segment, which is the future of of factories. Meet the future. To our futures. What future? The factory. My factory. Everybody's factory. I love your factory. My factory. My walls. So we cover the new trends that are talking that we're seeing across the country in the industry when we're seeing adoption and stuff. But I, I think when we think of the future of the industry, it, it goes with the people. That's where it starts. It's not the technology. It's the people that are driving the industry forward. So. You know, Russ, what advice would you give to others who, you know, are, are, are maybe just starting out? It's that it's that 18 year old kid that maybe wasn't fixing, you know, slot machines and betting machines, but maybe they were, you know, sweeping the floor at a, at a facility or they were working at a Home Depot and now they want to go and work in manufacturing. What advice would you give them? who want to be successful, who want to grow up. You, you, you have a lot of management and leadership skills. What advice would you give to a person? Never stop learning. Every day, try to learn something new. Ask questions when you don't know. The old adage, no question is stupid. No question stupid, right? If you don't know, you don't know. And people don't know what they don't know. So if, if you're curious, remain curious and, and just keep learning. I love that. Like, remain curious. I think that'd be like a great like T-shirt logo or or like hat. <laughs> remain curious. I think would be a, a phenomenal tagline. So, when you're constantly expanding your curiosity, what are some of the big changes that you're seeing in the industry right now that that are really going to affect the future? You, you you've seen the industry transform the last you know twenty twenty five years, as you mentioned. But what's your outlook look look like? I think more automation. I think we're going to see more robotics across manufacturing, especially in an industry like ours. I think we're going to transition to see more vision systems. And what I mean by vision systems are inspection machines that are inspecting our parts to make sure that the parts we are sending are quality parts, right? And right now, some of those processes, we rely on a, on a human to do that. And not that humans aren't great. Humans are phenomenal. But uh, a vision system that you give it a set of inputs and you expect that output to come, I think that's, that's where we're heading. Yeah, um, we'll still we'll still need the people on the floor, right? It was just a different role. You know, it, it's it's interesting when you look at like the numbers. For example, I think the the mean average of people working in manufacturing right now is like forty four, forty five years old, and the mean average just across the general industry is forty two. So we definitely see that manufacturing is older by a few years. But more specifically, when we look at like the general almost thirteen million people working in manufacturing. 51% of them are over the age of like 45 to 65. So we, we you know we definitely have an aging workforce in the manufacturing space. I think a lot of manufacturers are realizing that now. So what advice would you give to them that would encourage manufacturers to better motivate or incentivize younger workers to be a part of our industry? I think that might come with partnering with local local universities, maybe local high schools, tech schools in being able to bring some training at an earlier age. I, I think that that's almost where we're lacking, both not only on the manufacturing floor, somebody that's interested in the, in the technical aspect of things because they're going to a normal high school or a regular high school, 
and not experiencing any type of, of tech. So I think that if manufacturers started partnering with the local local schools, I think that would help help the cause tremendously. I love that. All right. So what do you imagine the future holds for us with respect to technology? You mentioned the vision system. Obviously, that's a cool advancement. But what else do you see coming on the forefront of things? I think as much as processes across any industry can get automated, I think we'll see that. And I think what that will do for the workforce is just make them a more technical workforce. Somebody that needs to be able to work, in, work with this technology. How do I operate this human-machine interface? I, I think it's just going to up the ante on, on our production workers and, and, and really make them more are technically advanced. For sure. So before we wrap things up, we'd like to uh, do a segment that we call the Fix-It Funnies, right? Fix is in. It's making a really funny noise. I'm going to fix it. Make it funny would be great if you could make it funny. Your fate is fixed. Makes it funny. Make sure it's funny. Uh, so before we say goodbye, would you prefer to work on a critical high visibility piece of gear or something that's a little bit more under the radar? The visual high, uh, the high visibility machinery. Awesome. So that's what you like. Yeah. <laughs> Copy that. So another one here. So red wing boots. Or Danner boots. I'm a Mux guy, so I'm gonna go with Mux. <laughs> but uh, which ones would you choose? So if I had to choose between the two, I'd, it would be Red Wing. But I'm a Merrill guy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> awesome. <Nice. laughs> for sure, nice. for sure. I, I am I am all Red Wing just because there's a store like <laughs> three minutes from me, so it works out. Nice. <laughs> that works out really well for me for for, for convenience. So uh, the, the other fun thing, you know, you, you've had. An awesome breadth of of experience, but you know, Russ, if if you were not doing maintenance, what would what would you be picking to do? One of two things: I'd, I'd either be a keynote speaker of some sort or a soccer coach. I'm a New England Revolution fan. You know, I, I haven't uh, I haven't seen a uh, professional soccer game yet, but it's definitely on my bucket list. I heard the crowds and the energy and the excitement are just are ecstatic and and it's a it's a fun environment to be in i have tickets to every new england game jake you make it to new england right. we'll go to a game so final question if you if you were to work on any piece of equipment that's out there or a piece of machinery and you could pick what would that what would that be i think since i've been young and i've just never done it i think i'd work in a nuclear power plant in, in, in the power generation field yeah. um i think that just the, what they're doing there is, is, is pretty neat awesome so. awesome well thanks again for coming to our show today russell it was a pleasure this has been the maintainers a blue cap community podcast so please don't forget to subscribe whenever you get your podcasts so you'll be notified as soon as our next episode goes live this podcast is brought to you by traction Traction offers streamlined hardware and software solutions designed to make maintenance more reliable and profitable. Their AI-powered condition monitoring and asset management solution predicts machine failures and unplanned downtime, allowing clients to save an average of $10 million every trimester. It's artificial intelligence quarterbacking your maintenance.